verse number 1. We finished up chapter 2 last Wednesday night when we looked at being encouraged during discouraging times. We uh, looked at Paul's record at the church at Corinth and uh, what he was facing from them, what was taking place there amongst the the people, how they had uh, forgotten maybe a lot about what Paul had done for them. Sometimes, you know, somebody can do a whole lot for us and be a great blessing to us, and, and then we find ourselves sideways with them over the least little bitty thing. Ain't that right? Just, I mean, that's, that's just a fact, isn't it? It doesn't take a whole lot for us to find ourselves in a, in a place where we're really we're really ungrateful for what God's blessed others to, to be to us. So we, we looked at that last week and, and we looked at what Paul had to say that, uh, and, and how, to be, how he encouraged himself when it seemed like the church at Corinth had more or less turned against him, how they had somewhat failed him. And uh, he said how that he gave thanks unto, he said, now thanks be unto God which always causes us to triumph in Christ. In other words, when I'm, when y'all are against me, I still got victory in the Lord Jesus. Ain't that something? That the world can be against us, but yet we still have victory in Christ. Uh, the devil can, can, can let the hounds of hell loose and can chase us to a high point. But when it's all said and done, we've still got victory in the Lord Jesus Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. What a great privilege it is and an honor it is to be saved. To belong unto the Lord Jesus Christ, to have eternal life, and to be called a child of God. So tonight we're going to begin, we're going to read the first three verses of the third chapter. We're going to look, at there, look here at the epistle of the heart tonight. The epistle of the heart. So if you... Have your Bibles, and you can and will, if you're able, could you stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 3, and beginning to read with verse number 1. The Apostle Paul begins, said, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Father, thank you for the privilege tonight that we can come before your throne. Thank you for the word of God this evening, Lord. And I'm glad, God, that you let me hold a copy of your Bible. I thank you, God, that these are the words of truth in your, your Bible, your word. This blessed old book is, the, is the, the epitome of truth throughout the world. It is the final authority. There's nothing, no greater law book, there's no, uh, nothing that's ever been written with more authority than what your word has. Now, God, tonight I ask you for leadership and for guidance as we break the bread of life. Help me, Lord, to say what heaven would be pleased with. God, as we begin to try to teach the Scripture, 
just what you placed here in the Word of God. Help us, Lord, that we could bring out in simplicity the truth. But God, I pray by the aid of the Holy Ghost of God tonight that those that may be here that never have been truthfully saved by the grace of God may, may be convicted by the Word of God, may be, may be pricked by the Word of God. You told us that your Word is, a, is as sharp as a two-edged sword. God, it cuts and it goes deep and asunder, even to the joints and the marrow. And I pray, God, that you'd do with the Word of God what you'd be pleased with this evening. With the aid of the Holy Spirit, I ask you, God, for, for help tonight. May I say the things that would give you glory. God, may I teach you people. May we leave here, God, with a better understanding of what thus saith the Word of God. Thank you for my Bible again. Thank you from the church here. And God, would you help us that we can grow in your grace and in your knowledge. Help us, God, that we could begin to have a greater burden for those that's lost. God, I pray you'd increase my burden for the lost. And I'll be careful to praise you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you and be seated tonight. The epistle of the heart. Wherever you find genuine, whenever you find genuine, you will always find counterfeit y'all remember that wherever there is truth there will be a counterfeit come along after it. there's uh, many people that have been fooled by fake masterpieces uh, what do you mean preacher well you know miners many years ago uh, you can read some stories of people in the in the mining days when they were searching the gold rush was taking place, certain place in Utah I read about that, that men began to flock there because that there was just evidence of gold everywhere. And then when they began to carry that gold that they had mined unto the exchangers, they found that it wasn't gold at all. That it was a counterfeit. It was called what they would call fool's gold. They thought they were rich. But there was a counterfeit. There was something there that looked right, that it glittered right, that it had everything right that, that may be there, but it was just not what it was, what it was, it was supposed to be. I've heard of, of stories of of paintings that people would buy that were supposed to be these elite masterpieces, but when it all come down, it was a counterfeit copy of it. Well, you say, what are you, what are you saying about that? Well, there was a guy by the name of Henry Ward Beecher that said this. He said, a lie always needs a truth for a handle. A lie always needs a truth for a handle. Now, as soon as the gospel of grace had came unto Corinth, we know who brought the gospel of grace to Corinth. The apostle Paul came to Corinth, began to preach the word of God to the people there. Many began to trust the Lord. We find from reading in, uh, in the first letter to the Corinthians when we were there uh, that it wasn't long that not after only Paul was there, but Apollos came through and he preached and, and Peter came through and, and he preached and there was a, a multitude of people that, that, that were saved and, and had been born again of the grace of God. I'm talking about the grace of the, the truth of the grace of God. 
I'm not talking about some fictitious way. I'm not talking about some uh, repeat after me thing that's going to not get you very far. But I'm talking about Holy Ghost conviction. I'm talking about an individual that that got saved by the grace of God and that they were, man, the the church was in in a blooming state. It was blossoming everywhere. And it wasn't long after that Uh, that that the gospel of grace began to be spread, that there came a counterfeit gospel into the place of Corinth as well. And it began, you say, what is the the counterfeit gospel? Let me tell you this. Anytime you mingle anything with the grace of God, it becomes a counterfeit. Anytime you mingle anything other than Jesus Christ and Christ alone uh, for salvation, then at that time you begin to create something that's an untruth. If there could have been anything else or any other way other than Christ uh, that sin's debt could have been paid for mankind, then rest assured that Jesus would not have had to die on Calvary. If it would have been Jesus plus something or minus something, then Jesus totally was not needed if, if that's the case. But, but, but we understand and we know tonight that in Christ alone is where salvation stands and where that a person gets saved today. It's not salvation plus works. It's not salvation plus the way you dress. It's not salvation plus the way you do. I believe in sanctification. I believe in holiness and I believe that comes apart. But I do not believe that that is a form of salvation. So it was, uh, we find that this false gospel began to, to, became, to come into Corinth. Now, what it was, was, uh, was it, it was uh, the, the gospel of grace and it was mixed uh, with the gospel of the law. And the law was beginning to be brought in there into Corinth with them. And uh, it was carried by what we know of today as Judaizers. They were, they were converts that uh, had been converted undoubtedly at Jerusalem and yet they were, uh, they were, they were, they were, I mean, the, the law was imperative unto them. They, uh, they, they could not let go of the things in which the law had said. Their, their emphasis was that salvation was by faith in Christ and, and in the keeping of the law. And uh, so, that's uh, a good subject, I reckon, Brother Philip, I know what I'm talking about. Actually, uh, theirs was the gospel of legalism. That's what it was. It was the... The gospel of legalism. You hear a whole lot about legalism today, and and you ain't careful. You start preaching holiness, and somebody want to call you a legalist, and uh, you start teaching separation, and they'll want to call you a legalist. But legalism has nothing to do with holy living. Legalism has everything to do with salvation. It's when you taint, which when you taint the good word of God and the grace of God with the works of men. When you include something else. Uh, into being saved other than just repent, repentance toward Christ, repentance and faith and toward Christ Jesus as our Lord. When you include anything else other than that for salvation, I know folks, and, and y'all don't get mad with me, but I, I don't make, make much difference, but, but when you say, well, you, you don't get saved until you speak in another language, well, that's hogwash. That's not what the Bible says, Amen. The Bible said you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Ain't that what the book says? 
God's word is, uh, is true. You see, I'm just going to say what the book says. It ain't going to do me no good to preach what you might want to hear if it, ain't, if it ain't lining up with the word of God. Now, today, this gospel of legalism, it's still just as prevalent today as it was in the days of Corinth. There's works included everywhere. You well, you've got to speak in tongues to get to be saved, and and you've got to do this to get saved. My Bible don't say that. Listen to what the Word of God says. Believe what the Word of God says, and stand on what God's Word says. Now, it has a, this gospel of legalism has a a little bit of Christ and a lot of man, a little bit of the Lord. And a lot of man kind of reminds me of what the scripture said in the book of Jeremiah just uh, that in those days there were seven women hanging on to one man's coattail saying we've got our own bread and we've got our own apparel just let us use your, your name that's all we want just a little bit of your names all we want that's the way a lot of religions are today all they want is just to claim the name of Jesus now they'll make the Holy Ghost higher than Jesus they'll edify him way higher than and you'll never find the Holy Ghost of God in the scripture putting himself above the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's always doing is pointing unto the Lord Jesus Christ. He's showing others that he's the one. He's the one. that Remember what John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Listen, uh, it was, uh, it was the, uh, the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus in the form of a dove. It wasn't a big deal about the, the, the dove. It was a big deal about Jesus. It wasn't God didn't say that day, that, Behold my Holy Spirit in whom I'm well pleased. But he said, Behold my Son in whom I am well pleased. Understand that Jesus is the utmost. We begin to place anything in, uh, before the Lord Jesus. We've got everything out of order. Uh, and to them, the gospel of legalism is a gospel of achievement. It's a gospel of achievement. You've got to achieve things. Boy, ain't you glad that you didn't have to be worthy to be saved? Ain't you glad that you didn't? Ain't you glad God saved the unworthy? Ain't you glad that God came for those of us that that were unworthy, that, that really don't deserve to be born again, but, but yet that God give us the opportunity and He sent the Holy Ghost to God our way to convict us of our sin and to show us where we stand. And when we believed on Him and trusted in Him, He saved us just like He said He would. Isn't that a great blessing to know that that's the way God is? Well, you know, Paul had, a, had, had, had confronted these people. He had been dealing with these people. And the, the people at Corinth had begun to really pull away from Paul. We studied that in the first two chapters, if you'll remember, that, that they had begun to really question Paul. They had begun to talk about him. I, I know none of y'all ever talk about the preacher, but they talked about Paul, okay? I, I, they, I, they, they was talking about him. They was, uh, they was railing on him a little bit because of everything. And, and one thing was happening that was uh, that, that these people had came in and began to pull Paul, pull, pull their... their Use their influence to pull them away from the gospel of truth. Paul was standing on the gospel of truth. All right, that's where he was going to stand. And when they were pulling them away from the gospel of truth, that meant they were pulling them away from Paul. Because Paul wasn't budging on it. There are some things that, that we might can budge on. But when it comes to this book, I just can't budge on it. I, I, can't, I can't wander away from it. I can't leave it. We've got to stand on the Word of God. So how did Paul refute the doctrine and practices of these legalistic false teachers? 
He, he done it by contrasting the ministry of the old covenant with the ministry of the new covenant. Notice, if you will, first of all, what Paul said in verse number one. He said, do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Now, first of all, I want us to look at the tables of stone compared to the human heart. Now, what do you mean by the tables of stone? The tables of stone was what the law was written, written upon. Was that not what the law was written upon? And listen to what Paul said here. Now, first of all, the Judaizers had boasted, and you get this from verse 1, do we, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we as some others, you catch that, as some others, epistles of commendation to you. In other words, now, do, do, we, need to, do, do we need again to, to commend ourselves? Do we need to write a letter uh, uh, to, to get you to understand who we are? Do, do we need to get somebody else to write a letter and, and recommend us to you? You see, what had happened is that these people from, these Judaizers had came undoubtedly from what I'm gathering from reading behind some, uh, some more folk that, that undoubtedly these Judaizers had came with letters of recommendation. They had brought with them uh, references, if you will. And it come from the church uh, probably at Jerusalem that had said, we recommend these brethren and their gospel unto you. Remember the church at Jerusalem wasn't long that, that, that after that, that Paul had to go confront them. You remember that? That he had to go, get, go withstand them to their faith. He said he withstood Peter to the face, didn't he? Why? Because of the tainting of the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm grateful that Peter got that thing fixed, ain't you? Glad James got it fixed. I'm, I'm thankful for that, and I'm glad for that. But, but I'm glad also that Paul stood straight up Amen. for the gospel of Christ. You see, these Judaizers boasted of their letters of recommendation from the important people at the Jerusalem church and acted as though that Paul didn't have those credentials. Let me tell you something about credentials. I'm not against education. I think it's good. I think it'll benefit a church. I think it'll benefit an individual. But I do not think it draws any more attention of the Holy Spirit and of God by what name you have or what, what, what adjective you have beside your name describing who you are or what you are. You can call me doctor, you can call me nurse or whatever you want to call me. And it does not mean I've got any more Holy Ghost on me than anybody else does. I, I've, what I've witnessed old men that couldn't hardly read their name in boxcar letters standing in the pulpit with more power than what a lot of folks ever had in their life and in their ministry. I, now, don't get me wrong, I'm not against those things. But I'm telling you what I, what I began to see. Brother Joe said something to me the other night. And uh, it, it really caused me to think and, and really caused me to... We've been talking about, you know, what's happened to the church work as a whole. What's happened to, to the power of God that, 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 that's, in, that's in church. And Brother Joe goes around a lot more. He's around a lot more places than I am. You know, going to from different from this church to that church to that church to that, and he said this. He said, "Preacher, you know what I believe? I found out in just a little while what the problem is. Now, don't take me wrong, and don't get mad with me about this." But he said, "I'm thinking the problem with the power of God in the churches today is education. 
that we've learned how to make everything rhyme in the preaching and I'm guilty. We've learned how to make everything start with the same letter and we've spent more time con concentrating on that than we have going to God and saying, God, we need your power on this thing. If there's ever going to be anybody get born again, it's going to take the power of God. It's going to take the Holy Ghost of God. It's going to take God moving in their heart. It's not going to take an alliterated message. I like alliterate. I like from the sound. I'm glad. I, I like it when they come together like that. But listen to me. I'm not going to uh, force it to take place like I have at times. And God help us that we'll understand that what we need to do today is we need the power of God in the pulpits and in the pews anymore. If we're we're going to have revival in old time Baptist churches again. We got to have, we don't do it on our own. We got to do it with, with the presence of God and with the power of God. Our worth is not determined about what, by what people say about us, but rather our worth is determined by what God knows about us. Boy, boy. We spend near about as much time of praying and begging for God's power as we would for other things that we do. I'm about ready to preach. I'm about to preach myself at the altar already. I'm just telling you. If we'd spend too much time begging for the power of God to be on us again, as we do seeking other things, seeking to be known of men. You see, Paul didn't need no credentials. But the people at Corinth knew that his life testified of his worth in the gospel. They knew the truth. Why? Because of Paul. You ever thought and think about that? Them people, Brother Philip, had the gospel because a man from Tarsus got saved on the road to Damascus, got stirred in his heart to preach the Word of God, left the comforts, left his family, left everything he had, behind Brother John and he went to Corinth. That city that was so ungodly and so worldly. He went to that place and he preached to them what he had experienced. Jesus. Matter of fact, he told them he didn't come to them with excellent words or eloquent words. Ain't that what he said in the first letter? I didn't do it. They come in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, ever, you know what we, what we need today in the churches anymore is some old-fashioned power of God. I'm talking about old-fashioned conviction. You still, you know what I still believe, Brother John? I still believe God can make lost sinners walk an aisle. I believe He still can. We don't see it very much anymore. But we also don't see much power of God in the church anymore. We've got, we, got, we, hear, we hear some of, the, some of the best preaching in this country from this pulpit. And I'm not talking about my preaching. I'm talking about for the men we come, that come in through here we hear some of the best preaching in this world that you're going to hear. You can search the world over and you ain't going to find much better preaching than what we've had have, have come through here. But that preaching without power is mere words. That preaching without the aid of the Holy Ghost 
is mere words. And what Paul had on him was that, that he had the credentials of the Holy Spirit of God and he had the credentials that he had brought the gospel unto these people, these godless people, these people that knew nothing of the God of heaven. They knew nothing of the Lord Jesus Christ. This man put his life on the line and went and told them. He told them of salvation. Many believed. He told them of, of, of service. Many served. He told them of sanctification. And many became holy. You see, he said, do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Is that what we need to have your attention? Is that what you're looking for from us? Because those Judaizers had brought that. So he had an answer for it. Look at verse 2. He said, Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. First of all, what is an epistle? An epistle is a written message. A written message. Paul said that ye are our epistle. You're written in our hearts. And you're known and read of all men. There's proof, is what Paul's saying, that there's proof in what God has done through me here with you. Y'all understand what he's saying? You are the proof of what God has done through me here at Corinth. You are that epistle. It's, your, it's written in my heart. You are. Remember what he, what he called Timothy, Brother Philip, all the time when he, my son, Timothy, didn't he? My son. He, talk, he called Titus his son. Why? Was they his, were, they his, were they his sons in the flesh? No. But they are his spiritual sons. He begot them spiritually in the Lord. They were saved through his ministry and under his ministry. Uh, the Lord through the years has, has allowed me to have several sons and daughters through the ministry. The people that have been begotten through the preaching. And, and, I pre and you know what? I, I, I can, you know what I can do? I can just about tell you, if I see a person and they've been saved under my preaching, I can just about tell you who they are. Every time I see someone, you can do the same thing, can't you? If they were saved under my preaching, if I had anything to do, with them getting born again. It's kind of like that, that it's written in my heart that they're there. I, I'm grateful for that. It doesn't mean that I'm somebody special. And it doesn't even mean that Paul was somebody special. But neither did it mean that those that had the, the letters of recommendation that they were more special than the old man of God that had stood the test, that had fought the way, fought the battles of hell against them people to preach to them the Lord Jesus. You see, he said, you are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Look at verse 3. For as much as you are manifest, manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us. First of all, let's look at the declared proof. By your profession, 
that announcement of faith. Paul said, you've declared it. You declared. You know what? The Bible said, for with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I've, I've experienced that. I, I believe that, that, listen, I believe there's people been saved that have not uttered a word verbally. Matter of fact, you're looking at one. I did not say a word out loud that anybody could hear when I got born again. And I'm glad you can't prove to me in my, in my Bible that you've got to say a word out loud. Amen. I know what's preached all over the land. I know what people say. But I know what the Bible says as well. <coughs> I can tell you when I got saved is the very moment I put my faith, I took my faith out of myself and out of my goodness and I put every bit I had that God had given me, I put it in Jesus. And at that very moment when I got born again by the good sweet grace of God. If you ever got saved, you got saved the same way. Now you could have prayed out loud. That's fine. I'm glad you did. But I tell you when you got saved is when you put your faith in Jesus. When you placed your faith in Him, that's when salvation came. Now, as we look at this and we see Paul, what Paul said that, that, that here he, he said you've declared it for with the the, with, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I've witnessed people. I was at Antioch Church in Van Cleve, Mississippi several years ago preaching a meeting down there. You know, that, that, that particular meeting, my wife remembered, uh, that's, I was still at Associate Church at the time, and, and boy, I'm talking about God got in that thing on, at the, at that week, and there were several, 10 or 12 young people got saved that week, Teenagers. There was a Mr. Brother Jay Spade. His, he was a deacon there at, at Antioch, and his oldest daughter. She come that night. And she was under tremendous conviction. She was on the altar, and she was praying, and she was just having struggling with it. She was struggling so hard. And and, uh, and I was talking with her, trying to and trying to explain to her, and trying to tell her, you know what what you need to do. I couldn't save her. I couldn't force her to be saved. But I was trying to help her. I was trying to be that. And then she said, I remember, I don't know what all come about, but somehow or another she said, well, 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 I've done that. And I said, what's that mean? She said, I put my faith in him. I believe he died for me. And, and I believe that he, that, that, that he gave his life for me. And I, and I believe all that preacher. And I, I know that, that in him that, I, that he, he will save me. If I and she stopped right there. And she said, you know what? I said, what? And she began to weep. She cried to the top of her lungs. She said, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. With that mouth confession was made unto salvation. She realized when she had done what was necessary for God to honor His Word, that she realized that and she was saved. Listen to me, it is as simple as that. And I don't know how come I'm here tonight, but I'm here anyhow. So I might as well just bear down here. Listen, Paul said, because of your profession, your announcement of faith, some of them had declared that they were of Paul. They had said, remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 12. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And even some say, I am of Christ. Remember that? Paul said, well, he said, well, even some of y'all said that I'm a Paul. You have my credentials. You, I, you know who I am. You're written in my heart. You are my epistles. 
You are my letter of recommendation. You are the epistle of God. There were times that they would testify that Paul had led them to faith. They declared his proof. Not only did they declare proof, we see demonstrated proof. Look at verse 3 again. Toward the end of the scripture there, he said, uh, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, well, there's the tables of stone that the law was written on, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. God's working through him, Paul, with Corinth, did something for them. First of, the, first of all, again in verse 3, it gave them a different heart. It gave them a different heart. Not in tables of stone, not of the law. That's what the tables of stone are. But in the fleshly tables of the heart. In other words, I've been begotten. You've been begotten by grace. By, by grace. There, is a, there was a man that died on Calvary for you. And you, that man was God. And God come in this earth in the flesh. He was the Son of God. And, and he came, and he came in flesh, and he was robed in God, robed in flesh, and he climbed Calvary's hill and hung between heaven and earth, and he died and said, it's finished. And, and then he was buried, and three days later he got up, and, and he stayed there, and, he, and 40 days later he ascended back to the Father. Ascended, I'm telling you, what Paul said there, that, that there's some, there's been some demonstrated proof. Uh, they had a different heart. The law has never changed the heart of a man. Y'all hear me? The law has never changed the heart of a man. We talk about King Saul. Somebody said, well, I, I don't believe old King Saul was saved. I believe King Saul was saved. I believe he was a saved man. Brother Mike, you know why? The Bible said God gave him a new heart. God give anybody a new heart, you know what? That old one's passed away and all things have become new. Can they, did he fall? Did he backslide? Did he get sideways with God? Absolutely. But I tell you what he did when he done that, he didn't get away with it either, did he? I'll tell you what happened to me when I got saved, God gave me a new heart. Yes, he did. I didn't even realize what all he was doing. I didn't realize all he was giving me. I didn't realize all he had paid for and I, everything was taking place there. But as the time is gone, as I've gotten older, as I've studied the Word of God more, I found out that on that day God did something in me that was eternal and it, it's never been the same. I'm glad that I can't turn around and go back. I'm glad there ain't nothing I can do to make myself lost again, thank God. I'm glad that I'm eternally secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the law could never do that. Grace changes the heart of a man. There's a power in the gospel message that is unexplainable. Wouldn't you say that? I've heard all kind of stories before, but I've never had one to affect me like the story of Jesus. <laughs> I ain't never had one that's done as much for me as the, as, the, as the old story of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard all kind of accounts and tales before, but I've never heard one that lived within me and that I've never forgotten like I have the story of the Lord Jesus. There's no power, no story, no account like the story of Jesus. But there's also power in seeing a life that has been changed. 
that holds great power in the eyes of the beholder. Somebody one time said the greatest message is the one a person can see. It may not be a verbal message. It may be in the life of a child of God that's decided I'm going to be holy. I'm going to live holy. The law had only brought us to the knowledge that we were sinners. The Bible said, Paul said this about in the Romans, that I was alive without the law once, but then the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Huh. Galatians 3 and 24 says this, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. The test of ministry and the test of Paul's ministry was this. The proof of his ministry was changed lives. <coughs> Excuse me. It wasn't the press releases. It wasn't baptisms. But it was those he had influenced. A minister who patiently ministers by the Spirit of the Lord. Here's the hard thing. And I've been at it 37 years. But here's the hard thing minister that patiently ministers does what, God, does what God says has got to leave the results up to God that's the hard thing that's what causes me my discouragement sometimes that's what causes me my heartache sometimes leaving the results brother John up to God God never called me to save nobody. God never called me to convict nobody. God never called me to change nobody's life. But he did call me to be holy. He did call me to preach the gospel. That's the same with Paul. He's facing, he's, he's talking to people. Man, he has loved. He's labored with them. Three years he spent with that church at Corinth. Eighteen months at one time. Come back like in times later. He labored, but he loved them. He did everything he could for them. And here they was hearing that they were saying. You don't have the credentials these other fellers have got. But they didn't have the gospel that Paul had either. You know, I'm done. I'm just going to say this. It's sad that the, that the Corinthians followed those boastful Judaizers and broke the heart of the man of God. 
who risked his life to preach to them the truth and to rescue them from judgment. I know folks don't ever think that I'm not preaching the tooting the preacher's horn tonight. I've read a lot about it here on here recently. It must be going around everywhere. The spirit of discouragement. People falling away. Churches. Well, just look around tonight. Seems like folks don't want to go to church no more. They. You know what most folks think, including the preacher, when they don't show up? I wonder what the preacher does. That's what some of y'all think, too. I wonder if that preacher ain't been to see him. I wonder if that preacher hadn't called him. I wonder what that preacher's done. I wonder if he didn't talk to them. I wonder if he if they wouldn't if they didn't feel comfortable around him. What, what, what if he wasn't preaching good enough for them? All those things crossed my mind. You'll be truthful. Some of you say they probably crossed your mind too. What's amazing is that we forget about the labor of love. We forget about the the times of prayer. Forget about the heartaches. You say, preacher, you're preaching this for a pity part. No, I'm preaching it because we're in the third chapter of Second Corinthians. Paul was facing in his day what we as preachers and pastors are facing today. Times have changed. People have changed. But the proof of the matter is most things are still the same. People still turn against God. Begin doing that by turning against God's man and against the church. I ask you this. I ask you this, and all on, I'll, I'll, in, 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 in truth, I want you to pray for me. This is about one of the most discouraging times in my ministry that I faced. I'll be honest with you. In 37 years, you preach, you preach, you preach, you preach. My wife will tell you, I leave here sometime, I say, I wonder if God's done with me. I wonder if God's through with me. I wonder if it's time for me to go. I'm being honest with you, okay? I'm being, I'm being judgment day honest with you. I need your prayers. It's discouraging time. If it's not for you, then pray for me. And you pray that the gospel message will still be enough. That the truth will still be enough. That the old time way will still be enough. It'll be enough.
Thanks, you can.